0: This episode of the Case for Safety Podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Hope everyone out there is uh, enjoying a nice holiday season now, while this time of year can bring a lot of enjoyment, it can also be very stressful. And uh, with that in mind, we wanted to share an episode from our archive this week about ways you can connect with the members of your team to help support them and uh, address the stresses they may be feeling. This episode features Rosa Antonia Carrillo, president of Carrillo and Associates Incorporated and author of The Relationship Factor and Safety Leadership. And uh, she shares a lot of great insights into how to build and strengthen relationships within your organization, improve communication, and build trust, and how these elements together can help create safer and healthier workplaces. also want to mention that uh, Rosa will be speaking at our upcoming Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summit on January 26, 2023, where she'll be presenting a session titled h and Leadership in DEIB, What Does Inclusion and Belonging Have to Do with SNH Performance? This free virtual event will include sessions and discussions that make the connection between DEI concepts and workplace safety. You can uh, visit uh, ASSP.org to register. Space is limited, so make sure to reserve your spot soon. Uh, and with that, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rosa and Carrillo about how you can create safer workplaces by starting conversations, improving communication, strengthening relationships, and building trust. Take care. Creating safer workplaces goes beyond addressing physical hazards. You also have to address psychological hazards to ensure that workers are in the best possible state of mind to perform their duties and that they are comfortable speaking up about unsafe working conditions. Joining me today to talk about the importance of psychological safety in the workplace and how to improve the psychological safety of your employees is Rosa Antonia Carillo. Rosa is president of Cario and Associates, Incorporated, which offers consulting and organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and team development to clients worldwide. She is also a widely published author, including a, a book that which was uh, just published last year titled The Relationship Factor in Safety Leadership. Uh, Rosa, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you, Scott. I'm delighted to be here with you.
0: Glad to have you. Now, uh, Let's get started. Uh, a lot to dive into here. So. I thought we could start by taking a broad look at psychological safety in the workplace. Something I I read that you mentioned in a recent interview that really struck me is how a person's psychological state plays a large role in how well they do their work. So I wonder if you could speak a little more to that, to the importance of psychological safety, to creating a safe work environment, and how employers and safety professionals can ensure that workers are in the right state of mind to do their jobs to the best of their ability.
1: All right. Well, first I want to take the onus off the safety professional that they could ensure that people are in the right state of mind. Uh, I, I've i been working in this field for over 30 years, uh, and I don't feel that I could do that. I feel that my role is, and I work with first-line supervisors and safety professionals in noticing when someone is ill at ease or something seems to be bothering them, they seem to be more quiet than usual. Uh, You can look at mannerisms and such and notice that something is different and sit down to have a one-on-one conversation with them because most people aren't just going to bring it up because they don't want to bother other people or they may feel it's a private matter and unless you make the space, it's not going to happen. So that's the first thing. And I asked myself, well, what would prevent, or in the past, I can look at myself, uh, what prevented me from creating those safe spaces to talk about uh, people's emotional condition? What, how are you feeling has more it's more than a physical do you have are you catching a cold it's really about your emotional state and one of the concepts that i've been introducing is the concept of the emotional injury in the workplace because many times the way we treat each other can cause an emotional injury. For example, l- lack of respecting an individual, lack of valuing their contribution, not inviting them to a meeting, and so forth. So it's important, first of all, to know that this is an important aspect of a person's being able to be aware of their environment. Because if we are not aware, we are not present in the moment, then we don't notice the early warnings uh, of uh, something that might turn into an accident. I know myself, if only I had been aware when I backed up my car and done a little walk around, I wouldn't have hit the car behind me. <laughs> so I say to myself, you know, what, what was happening there? Oh, well, I was in a hurry to get to my appointment or I was thinking about uh, an argument I had with my mother. What, so we get easily distracted in, the, in those circumstances. And so staying in the present, staying in the moment, staying aware requires basically it requires self awareness so how do we help as a safety professional or a first line supervisor how can we help other people do that and so really that's what uh, my book was about because it's not it's not mysterious it's not difficult it's really very simple and that is that we take the time to have these one on one conversations with employees and allow them the space to tell us what they think, what they feel. And if someone comes up with a concern or something uh, that they need in order to uh, be uh, more present or to do their work well, that we have that information and we can support them with it. So that was very uh, long-winded there, Scott. Sorry about that.
0: No, no, no. That was good. That was great. And that that leads really well into into my next question. As you just touched on the importance of relationships in the workplace, I wonder if we could dive into that a little more. You talk a lot about the importance of safety leaders developing relationships and engaging with their employees to improve safety. Why are these relationships so important to creating safer workplaces? And you know, how do you develop that kind of a culture and cultivate? better relationships with your employees?
1: Yeah, great question, Scott. I guess uh, we could back up to what we used to call trust and open communication, that you need trust and open communication in order to have a good safety culture, in order to have good safety performance, has really transformed into the phrase psychological safety. And if you think about it, what is psychological safety? Well, there's, there's many definitions out there, and Amy Edmondson has made it very uh, popular to think of psychological safety as the uh, feeling that you could speak up and express a concern or a disagreement without fear of retaliation. Uh, and if we back up a little, because her research was really a result of a lot of research that came before her that looked at psychological safety as simply being able to be yourself and to feel accepted. That may sound familiar because that's also what inclusion and diversity is about. If people don't feel included, if people don't feel that they belong, then they are not likely to speak up with a concern or a disagreement. And you are automatically then not getting all of the information that you need in order to maintain a safe environment. So the relationship part is the trust and communication. So if you think about those folks that you do have a positive relationship with? Do you trust them? Do you feel that you can speak openly with them? Do you feel that they're supportive? Do you feel that they respect you? And of course, the answer is yes. So why do we think that that doesn't apply in the workplace? It applies just as much in the workplace and many safety professionals uh, or safety uh, you know some of the people that are from prominent in the safety field like Andrew Hopkins they they're talking about the fact that the person at the top of the organization is too removed from the people at the bottom to really know what's going on and he says that this has huge implications because uh, of the problems of transmission of communication of information up and down the chain And I will challenge that because it's not really the CEO's responsibility to be connected to the workers on the front line. It is a nice thing if they go out and it is helpful to go out and see how the work is done. However, your everyday-to-day communication happens between supervisors and employees and also from employee to employee. And so that's where. I am saying we have to focus. What is the quality of relationships between the employees and then between supervisor and and employees? And we can even go up one more step up the ladder because supervisors are people too. What kind of support are they getting? Are they able to be themselves and bring up concerns or disagreements, right? Right because everything goes, rolls on down. If supervisors don't feel that way, it's very difficult for them to help employees feel that way. So that's why I've been saying that the relationship is first. It's primary. Uh, The technical and the equipment and the training is all equally important. But without that Relationship of trust and open communication, people are less likely to listen and even less likely to implement what they are being taught. Why is that? It's because we tend to pay attention to people that we trust and we tend to ignore those that we don't
0: trust. That's that's a very very good point. And talking about that open communication, something else that struck me in that recent interview is when you talked about the power of silence in the workplace. For instance, you know, someone failing to report an incident or an near miss, could could that also apply to workers not speaking up if they were having? psychological struggles and what is it that creates that fear of speaking up and how can that be overcome? Is it, as you touched on in the last, is it that, that fear of retaliation? Is it that, that lack of trust or just kind of a a combination of things that can create that culture of silence, if you will?
1: Well, as human beings, we really fear loss of face. What that means, we care a great deal about what others think of us especially if we are part of a close-knit group, like a uh, work group, we, we have to feel that they respect us, that, that they view us as competent. And so why would I bring something up where I am risking loss of face, loss of being viewed as a member of the team or of being competent of knowing what I'm doing. That's the last thing that I would want to risk. That leads to the silence, because we do that for self-preservation. And I did talk about this in my book, that the recent discoveries with neuroscience have allowed us to actually document that The loss of relationship, the loss of belonging is a fear equal to death or fear of serious injury. So emotional injury is equal to physical injury. And the biggest fear is fear of ostracism, fear of not belonging. So think of yourself, think of this, you know, you're out there and you get your feelings hurt and you think, I shouldn't, I, I really should not have my feelings hurt about that. I mean, my boss took credit for a report that I did uh, or the my, my boss uh, walked by and didn't say good morning. I mean, these things are so basic, Scott. Uh, my, my boss doesn't know my name. <laughs> We're down to such simple basics, and it just boggles the mind why some people uh, in a position, such as a safety professional or first line supervisor, wouldn't just start doing them. And I have been asking myself over and over, why is it that you can go into a dysfunctional organization and find a supervisor with a very high performing team? Where everybody gets along, communicates, they, they meet all their production deadlines, they have good safety performance. And the all the other teams in the same organization are experiencing high accident rates. Why? Why? It is relationship-centered, Scott. And I know all my systems friends are going to be going, what? You know, it's uh, yes, but I, but I think the, um, the relationships are part of that management system, and they may be the underlying system that makes the other parts of the system work. So you can bring in a really perfect system from another organization, which we call benchmarking, right? This is really well over here. Let's bring it over here. Uh, why does it fail most of the time?
0: because they couldn't bring the relationships with them. Something you, you just touched on quite a bit there, and is a central element of your book, is going back to how so much of this is, is just human nature. And in your book, you talk about eight beliefs about human nature that are common among leaders who successfully communicate the importance of safety while also achieving their their business results. So I wonder if you could kind of give an overview of those eight beliefs and the role each plays in both safety communication and business success. Sure. The
1: eight beliefs are something that I have gathered over the past 25 years. Uh, I, I guess they, they, they encapsulate the difference between leaders who are able to connect with people and build those relationships uh, that raise the level of trust and communication. And when you raise the level of trust and communication, you're also raising the level of performance. You cannot raise the level of performance for a group without that element of trusting open communication. You could raise your performance as an individual by improving your skills, etc. But that does not translate over to team performance. Because team performance is based, again, on how those relationships interact with each other. So if you look at the eight beliefs, probably the most important one and one that's been around for a long time is the belief that people really do want to contribute the best of themselves and that they do have the ability to contribute. Without this belief, you automatically create an environment where people, you've already created limitations because of your expectations. If you expect people to be lazy or to try to uh, avoid certain tasks or to try and take shortcuts, that is what you will get. So the leaders expectations are absolutely critical. And when I say leader, now I'm talking about uh, someone who is in a position of power. So if you don't have a position of power that has been given to you, such as a supervisor, a safety professional creates a position of power through relationship. In other words, you become important to this person because you've become a dependable, trustworthy person that I can count on. Right? That's going to, if I, if I say to you, I need this to do my work better, and you help me get that, well, you're building trust and credibility. That's how you do it, one step at a time. So, going back to this question of expectations, each of the beliefs. Like, for example, the first one, which is that there is no communication without trust. That trust is a foundation. If you don't have a relationship and you don't have trust, there's no communication happening. There's words being spoken. There's information being distributed. But the communication is missing because there's a lack of understanding and a lack of acceptance just goes in one ear and out the other, of course. Expectations are so important. And again, we can go back to science, which allows us to quantify these things. And we never had it before. Uh, There's a series of psychological experiments that were run on first with lab rats and then with uh, human beings, where a group of scientists were told that Uh, Group A of rats was highly intelligent, and Group B rats were average. And then they were run through tests, and lo and behold, the A group of, quote, genius rats were much faster and much more able to go through those mazes than the other group. So when uh, they when when the experimenter revealed that he had just arbitrarily divided these rats into two groups, everybody was asked to reflect on why there had been a difference in performance, and it, it was simple things like um, the experimenter touched the intelligent rat a lot more, gave them special treats. <laughs> And So then, okay, well, that's rats. But but the same experiments were conducted with people. Uh, one of the most famous ones was with uh, a teachers uh, and students telling the teachers, "This group is uh, genius level. This group is average." And again, the genius group aced their exams and, and far outperformed the average group, which really wasn't an average group. It was just a mixed group, the same as the first one. So where where is our responsibility in that situation as a, as a safety professional or as a supervisor? What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to be self-aware and to make sure that we're not imposing limitations on the people that we serve. So it's not that difficult of an idea. It's just that we get into a routine. We're not self-aware. We refuse to accept the fact that everyone is willing and able based on our past experience, right? We've all experienced people that weren't willing and weren't able, right? We've all experienced that. But are we painting that brush over all all the people and creating that that divide unconsciously. Whereas if we just paint the brush of everyone is able and everyone is willing, we're going to get that 99% response of, yes, I want to contribute.
0: Absolutely. Now, thinking about this in our, our current context, you know, the world of work has changed so much over the past year and a half during the, the pandemic. Work arrangements have changed. And people are experiencing new stressors or maybe elevated levels of stress and may you know feel disconnected from their workplace and their coworkers so in the in this the new reality that we've all been experiencing you know how can workplaces best address you know the psychological impact of these events particularly for those who may be operating remotely and they may not see on a regular basis just because work arrangements have changed so much mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And of course, I go back to my uh, original point that you have to make the space and make it okay for people to talk about their emotional discomfort. Uh, because the, the the first instinct is to pretend everything's fine, because they want you to view me as a healthy, productive individual, right? I'm not going to bring up any... Uh, difficulties I'm having because it will influence the way you perceive me. Uh, The leader is responsible for creating that space and for making it okay. Uh, You could start by sharing your own story, sharing some of your own discomfort and how you're dealing with it. And then ask others if they want to share and then be quiet because there will be a silence there will be and silence doesn't mean everything is great so you create that space and then people people will start talking i i have a team uh i'm working with uh, on a project right now and i hadn't worked with them before so uh, I always start the team. It's all virtual, so I always start start the team by asking people how they are, and I don't accept fine or good. Fine, good, and so I, I just give them, you know, time, and uh, and I ask them a, little, a few more questions. And I have to tell you that the first time I asked people that, rather than getting into the agenda, I got I could I, we had cameras, so I could see their discomfort and stunned look, like, what what is she doing? Um, This isn't normal. And now, uh, further into the project, even if I forget to start that way, they start in, oh, you'll never believe what happened to me on the road, on the way to the airport, you know, and and, uh, I smile because they slow me down because Because sometimes I forget and I want to get right into solving the problem, right? But uh, no, they, they, they start right in and then solving the problem is so much easier because that tension has relaxed.
0: When when you're having those conversations, do you start off more broad and then maybe get into more specific things you know about that person to get them to open up a little more? I'm curious kind of, you know, how that line of questioning could could work as you try to get people to really open up and start talking.
1: Yeah. So, you know, your opening question is, uh, you know, I'd like each of you to just fill us in a little bit about what's going on with you. How are you? What are you working on? Are there any challenges or issues that have come up for you? And that's usually broad enough to get somebody to speak up in the group. And then once the person starts uh, speaking up, then I ask, oh, well, how do you feel about that? Then there's a silence. Um, And sometimes if they're somebody that has worked, for example, in oil and gas or nuclear all their lives, they're not too connected to their feelings anymore. Yeah, it's a sad thing, but it's true. Cool. And uh, so you have to um, sometimes offer, in, well, I would have felt dissed, you know, or I would have felt uh, really frustrated by that. And then they'll talk. Uh, because if the, if the leader can feel that way then they can feel that way or they might disagree and say no 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 i i really didn't feel that way i i just feel that you know we keep talking about the same thing over and over again and never resolving it and so i have gotten such good information by going through that about where people are at in the project and their understanding of the project my god Yesterday, I found out that somebody had the wrong project dates and had bought the wrong airplane ticket. So, you know, if you don't take the time to talk to people, all kinds of stuff happens. Assuming that everyone got the message, right? Guess what? People aren't always listening. That's breaking news. You know, I do. I do feel whenever there's a miscommunication, I feel initially guilty, like, oh, I should have done a better job. But then I have to go back and say, well, you know what, this is the human condition. You can communicate over and over again, but you really don't know that you've communicated uh, unless you have that conversation and ask the person, okay, what do you think about what I just said? Or what's your opinion on this? Um, and, uh, that's, that's real communication. It's called conversation.
0: Right. And to, to your, to your point earlier, I mean, when, when you can get, get people to open up like that, that's demonstrating their trust in you, that they're willing to share these things with you. I like what you said earlier, there's no communication without trust. And I mean, when you get people to open up more and more, that trust just continues to, to build and become greater. And then the communication lines will be that much stronger.
1: Yes. And it doesn't mean that there won't be conflicts or disagreements. It simply means that they rise to the surface more quickly and you're more likely to be able to work through them and maintain the relationship. And remember also that relationship doesn't mean that you're friends or that you have to like the person it means that you respect and value and that you are communicating in a way that the person is willing to tell you the information that you need to know. That's, that's the purpose of the relationship.
0: Okay. Um, uh, anything else uh, you'd like to add about psychological safety, you know, uh, relationship building in the workplace as, uh, as we wrap up?
1: Well, I'd like to say that in the safety profession, we tend to focus on the things we can see, touch, because those are the things that we can fix, the, uh, you know, more easily. So, you know, getting people the proper protection equipment or getting uh, safety guards on a machine improved And all the wonderful things that safety professionals do, educate people on hazmat, are are extremely important. But we, we need to move beyond that and start paying attention to the emotional world that we work in. Our own, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Are we feeling valued? A lot of safety professionals don't feel valued. So you have a, a problem right there because you're bringing an element into the workplace, a negative element into the workplace when people aren't feeling valued or respected. And the same thing with supervisors. And every now and then you will get a safety professional or a, a supervisor that are able to lift themselves up right by their own bootstraps, so to speak, and, and make that difference. But, Most of us uh, don't, most of us don't do that because we really need that support and that network uh, in order to function uh, fully, in order to be fully functional. So I would encourage safety professionals and managers to think about The fact that understanding people and working with them to develop their skills, clarifying priorities, being aware of the emotions that are impacting them, are really the area that we need to focus on to grow. We talk a lot about resilience, but resilience is only possible because of human adaptability. And that ability to adapt comes from the security of our relationships.
0: That's that's a, a great note to end on. I I, I love what you said talking about the the hazards we can't see. That was something I hope our listeners really take away from this conversation is yes we we see hazards throughout the the workplace, but think about what we can't see. What's what's left unsaid? That that aspect has to be addressed in order to create safer and healthier workplaces. So uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Rosa. I I really enjoyed our conversation, and I I uh, hope our listeners will take what we've discussed today, take a look at your book and use it to improve psychological safety at their workplaces. So thank you again.
1: Well, you're very welcome. And I hope to get my book into the curriculum so that young people coming into the profession can get a little uh, heads up on how to work with people. Thank you very much.
0: Join us for Safety Focus in Orlando, Florida and online February 13th through the 17th, 2023 and online February 20th through the 24th. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org, and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.